0: Hi, and welcome to and/or back to the JetRail podcast. I am your host, Jill Treese, and today I am going to be answering some listener questions that have been emailed in to me, anonymous and otherwise. So let's just jump into it, alright? Oh my god, did you guys hear that? That's the old intro. Somebody requested that I do that on Friday's episodes. Um, Just do a little different intro. So I'm gonna try. We'll see. Um, Chances are, um, I'm gonna forget. But you know what? I'm gonna give it the old college try, as they say. I'm pretty sure they say that about like finding your sexuality but you know what we're applying it here anyway um (laughs) before we jump into the episode i have to do sponsors you guys know this this one is also going to be another long one so there will probably be another sponsored segment um later on in the episode but let's get the two initial ones out of the way here we go three two one another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help All right, guys, so we are back from the sponsored posts on here. I don't know what to call those. Um, I Ooh, what if I put some books under my microphone? I don't know why I didn't do that last time. That makes a lot of sense for now. Oh, wow, (laughs) so many sounds are happening. I hope that your ears are enjoying it. Could I pause and do this? Sure could. Am I going to? (laughs) No, you're okay. You're good. You you know what? This is an interactive experience. You are enjoying listening to live. Okay, well, it was off fighting games until I accidentally unplugged a microphone. Anyway, um, <clears throat> here we go. My mic is my face height, so I should be ready to rock and roll on this episode. Move my water ball closer to me. Make sure that lid is tight because it's right next to my, my laptop. I got to check Twitter real fast. Just some likes. Nobody replies ever. Um, but yeah, okay, here we go. So today I'm answering your questions, but I want to point out, and I'm not complaining in any way at all. Do I feel a little bit like a god when people send me endless questions about training? I sure do. However, <laughs> um, I cleared my inbox on Sunday or Monday whenever I recorded Tuesday's episode. Cleared my inbox. It's all done. Responded to every email. Well... Some of the longer ones I still haven't gotten around to because I don't feel like typing and they're not like podcast read emails. Um, But I do need to do that. But uh, (laughs) when do I have time? Um, I'm working on it. Promise. I haven't forgotten about you. I have it marked as unread. I just need to get to it. But um, I cleaned my inbox of questions to answer on the podcast, all the training questions, everything, all good, gone. Um, And then uh, Wednesday rolled around. And now I have one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, eight, nine, nine questions. And they're not short. Um, they're a lot shorter than the last couple of ones, but um, still pretty long. So we're going to crack a lack into these bad boys. But first, I do want to say that I committed a lot of time yesterday to setting up the Patreon and um, like making some really cool benefits at some of the tiers, um, making it really accessible if you're at a lower tier um, and that sort of thing. Um, So I'm really excited about it and I think it's going to be, it's going to be really good for everyone because um, if I feel like, um, you know, it's worth my time, like I love the podcast, but I didn't really anticipate on answering a bunch of training questions and, you know, this is how things work. They develop organically. So it's really cool and I enjoy answering them, but it's, it's a lot and it's really time consuming and, um, I feel like, honestly, I feel like I'm putting in a little bit more work than is necessary. And, um, well, then I'm getting back if that makes sense. And cause the podcast doesn't make a ton of money, which is okay. That's not really why I did it anyway. But, um, you know, think about your trainer, you know, consultations and having a, a writing instructor and things of that nature, you pay for it. And, um, so, you know, $5 to answer a training question is not, not asking a lot, in my opinion. And, you know, if if you can't, that's totally okay. Uh, th- the way that I learned primarily was listening to people talk and um, applying what they were working on with their horses to a completely different behavior with mine. So hopefully, even if you don't get the chance to ask your question, you can get it figured out. Um, I believe in you, resilient human. But I, I've i done a lot of work on that. I'm trying to get a logo going so I'll have a logo for all of my merch and that way um, I can add that into the tiers and then once that's done then I'm going to start really implementing that. Everything is pretty much laid out so maybe in the next week or two is when I will be launching the Patreon which unfortunately means you will no longer be able to email me questions and that breaks my heart because and I know I talked at length about this on the last episode, so I'm going to try and keep this short because I, when I do launch Patreon, I'm going to make an episode. It'll probably be a random, not weekly episode. Um, just it'll be thrown in there to give you guys all the details about the changes. Um, and that way I can refer people to it as well. Um, but it truly does really sadden me that I can't answer every single question. I would love to sit here all day and talk horses, answer training, um, issues with people and see if I can help, you know, aid horses and make the world a better place to be a horse, you know. Um, But at the same time, um, I feel like as a practice of self-care, I have to value my time. And I can't sit here and do that all day long as much as I wish I could. There just aren't enough hours with everything else that I have going on. And um, a lot of you have been so incredibly supportive and I cannot express to you how much that means to me it, it's so nice to hear people be like, you're not being ridiculous for asking for money for, you know, everything that you're doing. So I want to let those of you know that have sent me messages like that, that it it really means a lot. (laughs) It is So, so validating. So thank you for that. I appreciate it endlessly. I'm going to um try and make the Patreon a really fun place. If you have any ideas on things that you'd like to see on that, feel free to shoot me an email. I may or may not implement it, but I know at some of the higher tiers, um I think at like the 10 and up tier, you can um or there will be like a I'm going to try and do a monthly Q&A, like a live video Q&A where you can just ask me a question and I'll answer it live. Um it won't be recorded or a podcast, but it'll be up um if I don't really know how Patreon works, to be fair, um, so maybe I'll leave it up just for patron- patrons or um, do the live. I don't know, because I want only patrons to be able to do it, so it'll only be like a few people in the you know chat room, so then I can answer the question. And I would like to be able to leave it up, because I know everybody has different times. Whatever. I'll address all of that in the episode where I talk about moving to Patreon. Um, for everybody else, you will be able to listen to every single episode of the podcast, um, past and future episodes. Um, It'll all be free. The only thing that I'm putting stipulations on are extra things like the live Q and A's and also being able to ask me a question. Um, Right now, I have it set at $5. You can ask me one training question. And if you upgrade to $10, um, you can ask me an unlimited amount of training questions. You can keep emailing me with everything. Um, What... I'm going to address one more thing. What has happened is some people will ask me a question and I'll answer it on the podcast and then they'll send me another question. And then the next time they see their horse, they'll send me another question. And so by the time I get around to recording that episode, I have five questions to answer from one person. And that's not super fair to everybody else because I need to dedicate time to other people's questions. Um, but if you are a higher priority patron, then, um, you know, I'll be able to do that, um, because you're paying for it. So it kind of helps balance that a little bit. And, um, everybody else who pays will hundred percent get their question answered. Um, and if the podcast gets more popular, we may have to adjust a little bit, but, um, I'm so happy with the community that we have formed. You guys are the most amazing people in the world. I like it just it makes me feel so good that like everybody seems to be on the same page like nobody is like super if you're not doing completely positive reinforcement you're a horrible person or an animal abuser and you know if you are fantastic like i mean just everybody's kind of just like really easygoing and just it's all about bettering themselves educating themselves for the betterment of their horses and their relationship with them it's just it makes my heart so happy so I appreciate that in this podcast, and I appreciate you, listener. Um, So anyway, with that 10-minute spiel, I can never seem to get away with um, being shorter than that, I'm going to start answering our nine questions. Okay, so question number one is from an anonymous listener. I have a friend who has a horse that was recently taken out of a bad boarding situation. He's five and was in training with a not-so-kind person who took advantage of his gentleness and kind of used him as a lesson horse for a while because he was so broke. Like, this horse did nothing wrong. <laughs> he was super sensitive, and I believe he is a perfect example of learned helplessness. My friend took him home when, uh, oh, where he finally gets enough hay, clean water, and so much turnout, or as much turnout as she possibly can. Sorry, the text is a little small, and I'm sitting far away to the microphone, and my vision is not fantastic. Um, Okay, anyway. um, As much turnout as she possibly can, and is giving him time to just be a horse. Fantastic. But as soon as he came home, all of those bad habits started. He started biting her, not standing for the fair anymore, running away from her in the paddock, and overall being what other horse people would call a brat. My friend is super diligent about ulcers and making sure he is in tip-top shape, so I don't think that the fighting is related to that. He just seems to be taking advantage of the freedom he has now. What's your advice on getting through the aftermath of the freed learned helplessness? I told her to spend uh, some time with him just out in the pasture, not doing anything and building up a relationship with him. But if you have any other advice on how to help this horse work out his trauma and keep my friend safe, I would greatly appreciate it. P.S. He's been home for about six or seven weeks now. Okay. Well, awesome that you both understand, um, learned helplessness i know personally the individual who wrote in this email so i know that you know what you're talking about um and you're a fantastic student of the horse um but yeah so great analysis of the situation that is highly likely what happened you know um for those who are unfamiliar with um the term learned helplessness a lot of times what happens with horses that um either are just like the dead broke horses the bomb proof horses and obviously it's not every single horse but a lot of the ways that those horses um are taught to be that way is through practices like flooding and um which is essentially just overwhelming the horse with uh, fear-inducing stimuli until the horse just shuts down and the only way to keep a horse in that state is to keep doing that so every time the horse has a reaction a negative a positive reaction just anything is always dominated by the human so you know if you're riding a horse and you know they pick their head up because i mean there could be any number of reasons maybe you've had them collected for a long time and their back is a little sore they're getting weak and they pick their head up and you force their head back down that horse eventually i mean it's obviously not every horse will go into learned helplessness but a lot of them will um they um they'll just keep doing whatever you ask no matter how much um, pain they're in and that is not the relationship we want with our animals um, it's a lot like um, oh god I don't know what's another example I mean like it happens to humans and it happens to um, other animals I mean like they, you always see those pictures of like horses um, like tied to a plastic lawn chair and it's like it's all in your head you know the thing holding you down um, is probably not capable or something like that. I don't know. They have some cheesy things. And when I think of that, I mean, I apply it to horses. Obviously it's not what the meme means, but it's like, it's like, the, it's so frustrating because you can beat a horse so badly to where they are so afraid to make a wrong move that they just sort of shut off and they internalize and they shut down. It's like a person just an apathy and complete depression that they just like have no will for life and they're so afraid of what might happen if they put a foot out of place that they're that they just do whatever is asked of them and for a human wonderful fantastic you have a very safe horse it will never do anything um or so you hope and the horse knows if he does freak out or if he blows up or he spooks at anything that he's going to get reprimanded in a way that you know he can't get away from a lot of what happens, a lot of quote-unquote desensitizing training is just flooding and scaring the dog shit out of the horse until it stops responding. And that's not training, by the way. And um, what happens with learned helplessness is when that pressure stops happening, when the people that are oppressing the horse and scaring it and keeping that behavior intact, the horse goes through like a, like a, (laughs) I don't know what to call it, like, A little revolution they just stop they 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 come out of it completely it happened to mac uh who was supposed to be my retired racehorse project when we got him home that horse would not put a toe out of line he was so safe and so just like dead like just in the brain when we unloaded him from the trailer that horse probably hadn't been in a paddock in two years and hadn't been able to stretch his legs outside of being on the track and so when we got him home and unloaded him in the arena. The other off-the-track horse that we had was running and screaming around the paddock, just running and running and running. And Mac maybe took a few trot steps, he rolled and otherwise just walked around kind of with his tail up in the air. It was like he was afraid to move. Um, And so things like that, Um, eventually he started to come out of that a little bit and he started biting and pawing and kicking out at people. He wouldn't let you put the halter on. He put his head up really high and then he'd try and bite your arms while you did it. And um, I had to untrain all of that, but not with beating him and correcting him in the traditional sense. Like if he tried to bite at me, I wouldn't hit him. Um, I just taught him how to respond. And also that all of the things, all of the people, the hands um, were not going to hurt him anymore. They were only going to be sources of food and scratches, only good things. So that is sort of um what you have to do with an animal that's come out of learned helplessness it's real it can be really scary um you know when they've been so abused so badly that they just they've just lost all will and then suddenly they get in this really good situation and they're like you know what that is never happening to me ever again No human is ever going to do that to me ever again. And then it's like they get reinvigorated and then um, they come back to life. And then when people come around them, they're like, no, I remember what you did, even if it's a completely different person. So you just have to build that relationship. And something that's really important to consider too Uh, especially for this horse, it sounds like is, um, everything that she does, you know, once she, like, if she teaches him to smile or to put on a halter without biting, um, those sorts of things, she's going to have to transfer it to other people, um, just to make sure that he's safe for other people to handle. And, um, it can be inconvenient and annoying to have other people help you with training. I hardly ever get that luxury because, um, you know, I'm normally the only one working with the horses out here by myself. So, um, you have to be able to generalize so that the horse slowly learns all people aren't bad. It was just those people that were with you, but these people, not bad. So what is also really important for a horse like this is you want to eliminate any situation when you might have to reprimand him. So obviously, if you're in the paddock with him, and he comes charging at you with his ears pinned, and like he's going to bite you and kick you like you're gonna have to do whatever you need to to defend yourself like you might have to throw your hands up and scare him or you might have to smack his nose away any of those things what you want to do is prevent that from happening we want to take preventative measures and not just react proact not react so um everything I would say should probably be started in protected contact if it can be. And, um, you know, the first behavior you may have to teach is, um, you know, obviously how to behave around food, but then um, haltering. Uh, I mean, that's what I've done with the babies. They know how to, um, like, uh, astro and... Dexter, the only thing they know is haltering. They don't know uh, how to behave around food. They don't know how to target. They don't know really how to pick up their feet. They're pretty good at it, but it's not like a staple thing. But Azula, um, I had to um, deworm her. So that was the first thing she learned out of necessity. Um, So she learned that and then she learned haltering. And um, she's gotten really good at um, stuff like that and targeting out of necessity also. So, um, you know you just really have to be diligent about like, what absolutely do you have to fix first? Um, because obviously you're not going to be able to leave the horse in a stall because you're, you haven't worked on haltering yet. You're going to have to still lead him to the paddock, but you can work on it while you need it to happen, you know? Um, so that's what I would really recommend is, um, retraining those behaviors and just really, really trying to, Think ahead and not put you or the horse in a dangerous situation where either you feel like you need to defend yourself or he feels like he needs to defend himself, Um, himself, his self. So that way um, you can refrain from like, associating yourself with the people that had him before. Because, um, you know, like, if they were really hard on him and, you know, hit him or chased him and scared him a lot, if the new owner does that, it's gonna, it's it's like a PTSD reaction. It's gonna bring all of that back and it might be more severe than the circumstance. So, like, you know, a typical horse that hasn't experienced a whole lot of, you know, general people things, <laughs> um, you know, like Astro, for example, our little full Astro. He is such a brat. <laughs> like I love him endlessly, but he's such a pain. I was trying to take pictures of our muscle therapist today for her website and Trying to keep him off of us was ridiculous because you can't throw your arms at him and say, get on and get him to go away. He won't leave. He doesn't know what that means. He's not afraid. But a horse that has been abused, if you do that, they might give a way more severe reaction than you're waiting for. And I'm not, or ready for. And I'm not saying that to, um, you know, scare or say that like, oh my God, you shouldn't work with this horse at all. You just have to be really aware that um, if you ever are in those situations, it may take a lot less. It may take a step towards him and then he's like okay bye you don't have to go the whole nine yards but again the point would be to not wait until you have to be in those situations the the goal would be to work on it before it happens so that it doesn't does that make sense I hope um so yeah awesome 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 that um they got their horse out of that situation and are able to you know help him meet his needs that'll help tremendously nutrition is the most important thing for horses I swear up and down um so helping him get all his needs met is endlessly endlessly wonderful and then rebuilding that relationship and that bond is what needs to happen to where he knows he's never going to get hurt again like I've had to do that with Zoe you know I mean there have been circumstances that I've been like okay maybe you're offering a little too much or I felt like I might be in a little bit of danger, I mean, Zoe's not really dangerous, um, but, like, you know, and I've had to, like, throw my arms up and be like, whoa, don't do that, and I can, the look on her face, I know I'm anthropomorphizing here, can never say that word well, um, but she's just like, how dare you, and I'm like, "Oh no, I'm sorry, I was, it's okay, um, so, uh, you know, it's just, like, you, you want to eliminate that, because with Zoe, it's like, she's like, I thought you changed, and I'm like, no, I had, I promise, I just got scared, um, so, really important that you just really develop that relationship. It's honestly just developing trust that the horse now knows this is a different lifestyle. Um, so yeah. So again, I just want to look at some of the problems. Um, super diligent about ulcers, making sure he's in tip top shape. That's great. Um, yeah. Okay. He's biting. Okay. So I mean, that is, that's obviously something that is a problem. And that happened with Mac. I mean, I have videos on it. I have a podcast episode where I talked about it. Maybe you could send that to her. I know that sometimes it's a little bit difficult, um, for people to like, it's hard to send podcasts because you're like, Oh, is it about me? Like, you know, um, but yeah. So, um, standing for the farrier, um, you know, if the horse is barefoot, that's super easy. Cause like with Zoe, um, she's barefoot and she can go (laughs) way too long without getting done now. So, um, that might help if the horse can go barefoot to pull the shoes off so that you can really work on that time. Um, you know, in between to see if you can, um, help the horse learn to pick up its feet. Um, you know, obviously maybe starting in protected contact is a good idea again to prevent the necessity of like having to protect yourself. But then, Once you feel comfortable working up to asking the horse to pick up their feet and hold it and gradually increasing the duration at which they have to hold their feet and then have a friend also cue the horse. So you generalize. Um, So maybe you listener could offer to help with this so that the horse can generalize from person to person so that when the, uh, when the therapist, when the farrier comes out, he won't be the first new person to be trying to cue this. And you can also walk through the farrier. My horse was abused. And we are having some problems, but I promise you, I am working diligently to help this horse with his training so that it is not a danger to you or to the horse, so that we can all just be okay and get his feet trimmed without any big to do. Um, so I would just really be diligent about communicating that with your farrier as well. And then running away in the paddock, um, that'll come with, um, you know, time when the horse learns that she's a good. A good like safe space a safe person to be around um a friend uh then i mean that'll come the horse will start coming and once he recognizes that <laughs> the person brings yummy tasty snacks and positive association then um that'll correct itself naturally as well as most of these behaviors most of them are due to um fear and distrust um so yeah Mega props to both of you for seeing the horse for what it is and not just labeling it as a jerk because it's not, <laughs> it's a horse responding to his environment um, and the change. And um, honestly um, I know when I first started um, talking to Adele Shaw, she said that honestly for her, a lot of times that was like the best sign ever. Cause it means you're doing, you're doing what you're supposed to. You're helping the horse when the horse turns into an asshole because you know, it was the most dead, broke, quiet horse ever um when it turns into a jerk, then it's a sign that you're on the right track and you're helping the horse um get to the horse that he can be, you know. So, I hope that helps. On to the next question here. Listener Emma asks, "I switched to positive reinforcement based training after you did um because I've always had an issue with traditional methods." Same fam. My mare spirit responded great and became a lot happier to work, but I've run into the same problem you mentioned recently with Zoe not wanting to go back to her field. It is the most annoying problem ever. Um, It's been miserable. Since October, she has been a nightmare to turn out. She's on pasture, so it's only an issue for me, which is not good for you, but good in general, that not a lot of people have to deal with it, so you don't have to have people um, trying to intervene and making the problem worse because like if she's trying to lead her horse out and teach it how to be led then um other people are doing it and they're like beating the horse and it's it's not going to fix itself very well um okay um only an issue for me but it's awful she plants her feet and will not move targeting sometimes works but very slowly usually i have to resort to negative reinforcement slash positive p which i hate um makes me sick to swing a lead at her but i can't stand uh with her for an entire hour sometimes using sweet feed works but definitely not always because it's not and it's not ideal putting pressure on the leader up and swinging it at her causes her to back up a lot and threaten to kick and bite which is probably fair um but i don't know what else to do i i've been there i feel you um today was i was late to a doctor's appointment because she took an hour and a half to turn out jesus christ Oh my God, you are so patient. Um, I don't know what to do. I've tolerated this long, but I can't stand it anymore. And I usually have to make my mom do it. Cause I can't stand to get after my mare. Um, okay. So obviously horrible situation, not a fantastic one to be in. Um, this um, email doesn't include whether or not the horse is paddocked with other horses, but if it were my horse, and like I said with Zoe, what I'm going to have to start doing when I take her to the arena is budget time so that um, I can work with her in the arena and then we can target all the way back. Well, I don't really target her. I just kind of ask her to walk on and then click and treat. Um, and then when I get to um, into her paddock to continue the lesson so that she's not dreading going back in there because she knows I'm just going to leave her and then be done. Um, so to make the paddock a really good place to be. Um, maybe something that you could do, um, is, you know, whenever you do finally get back to the paddock area is to continue working. Even if you can't like go in the paddock, keep working right around it. So it's still a good place to be. I know that sounds a little bit manipulative of the pony, but, um, that might help. Let me think of, um, if there's anything else I can think of with that targeting is a good idea. Um, maybe i'm not a huge fan of sweet feed so i probably wouldn't use that anyway but maybe carrots or apples or something she really likes to really reinforce um highly um you could also try mat training um and teach her to put her feet on a mat and then um You know, you could walk her, like, after you've done that, you could walk her to wherever you're going, um, to the arena or whatever, and then instead of going in the arena to work, you could just spend your entire time working with her, asking her to step on the mat with her front feet, and you don't even have to walk in a straight line back to the paddock. You could, like, make it diagonal, put it sideways, um, you could put a line of cones and have her target the cones back, um, there are a lot of things you could do here, um, trying to think what else I might do. Um, you could also maybe just work on some rope handling skills. I know, um, Alexandra Curland, when I went to her clinic, she taught us a lot about rope handling and it does use, um, some negative reinforcement. Um, though I don't know that Curland would call it that. Um, but it is, I mean, you're applying pressure to a lead rope, but it's very minimal. And, um, obviously when you teach it, like, Uh, She has books that explain it It's um, called Tai Chi Robe Handling um, And she also has DVDs that explain it But essentially what you do Is like if you're Okay I'm going to have to assume the the position So I can figure this out So say you are on the, the left side of the horse You're standing next to the horse's left shoulder And you have like the excess of lead rope In your right hand And then you cross over your body With your left hand To grab the lead rope and then what you're going to do is grab the lead rope right next to your hand that's got the bundle of lead rope. And then you're sliding your hand up the lead rope and locking your arm uh, to where your bones are locked. And then you just hold it. You're not pulling on the horse. It's just a subtle pressure telling um, the uh, the clip, like the little snap on the bottom of the halter, um, it just is like pointing forward now. And it's applying pressure to the horse telling them to walk forward. So you, again standing on the left side, have the rope bundle in your right hand, and then you reach across your body. So you're like reaching your left hand to the horse's shoulder almost. And then you're going to grab the, uh, the lead rope and slide up towards the horse's face. And it's going to change the direction of the snap on the bottom. So it's a really subtle way. It's not just like grabbing the lead rope, which can be really jarring for horses. Um, but you're sliding up, and it works so beautifully for sensitive horses. Um, and then the second they flinch, like just any indication, if an ear flicks forward in the direction you want them to go, click and treat and release that pressure. Um, and then you're just, you just keep doing that. And that may be something to work on um, as well. I would recommend, again, like I've said in previous episodes, teaching new things away from problem areas or new environments. Um, so you only want to change one variable at a time. So teach the horse the thing in um, a place where they're really confident situations like this are tricky if you're teaching things in an arena and then you have to lead it back um, but I would just really recommend um, budgeting out like it's, it sucks so bad but like a large section of time and maybe if it's not too distracting for you which it might be because um, it could like mess up your amount of clicks but maybe you could listen to a podcast while you do it um, but just just only I would only recommend doing that if you know you can't get distracted for me I absolutely cannot listen to a podcast while I'm clicker training um while I'm riding probably because my body knows what to do most of the time but I like to really focus on the horse when I'm clicker training because I need to be vigilant for muscle twitches for eyes changing direction for ears flicking forward and back and sideways any indication that the horse is going to move I need to be vigilant for that so I hope maybe that gives you some ideas Something to think about. Um, Yeah, I'm not entirely sure um, what to do about that. I mean, maybe with the targeting, if you could up your rate of reinforcement, you know, stick her nose out a little further. Another thing you can do that's sometimes really helpful is if she is responding to the targeting is you can hold your hand out a little further. So she has to take a step to get a reward. Um, And, you know, I don't know. I'm not know i am I have a hard time with this one, but I mean, you know, if force comes to worse. Maybe you could, um, you know, stand in front of her with the treat. And then, um, if she, um, wants to stand there and just kind of stare forward, that's okay. And just wait. And when she takes this and when she starts walking, give her the treat, I mean, click and then give her the treat. Um, maybe that, I just kind of hate that one. Cause you're just like, you must move. And it's kind of like bribing instead of, you know, like. I don't want to say training, but you know what I mean. Um, drink of water. I think that's about all I've got for that question and for future reference on the Patreon. If I feel like I can't answer a question very well, um, I will like, and if you pay the $5, I will allot you another one if I'm like not very good at it. Um, anyway. <clears throat> anonymous listener asks i work for a horse rescue so we get lots of horses in and out sometimes they come with issues like cribbing and weaving how would i fix that also how do you feel about cribbing collars hobbles anti-grazing muzzles and neck cradles i'm gonna be honest not entirely sure what the hell a neck cradle is but um cribbing collars i if if it were me I would spend a lot of time like if you um, go to high school or you are a university student or if you know somebody who is ask them if you can use their school's library um, website like for my site um, i can just log into um, sorry the burp i can log into the library uh, website and then go to the resources page and then there's EBSCO host, and then you can look up like a bunch of studies and you can actually read literature instead of like the horse magazine or just magazine articles that aren't really founded in science. Um, and if you read a magazine article, make sure it says doctor and then probably look up the study that they're talking about um, and make sure that it's like a viable study because sometimes they're not very good studies or they're, um, you know, sometimes it's only a study of one and um, it may not be necessarily applicable to all horses, blah, blah, blah generally speaking, um, I haven't done a ton of research on it cause we don't have cribbers out. We have one cribber. Um, but I do know that preventing a horse from cribbing can sometimes severely increase their risk of colic because often those stereotypes develop from, um, being a young horse. A lot of the reading that I've been doing is on how to wean because we have four babies right now and I am not sure, um, you know, how to wean. So I'm looking it up. That's kind of how my equine education has gone for the most part is, um, every time there's an issue, um, I have to start reading scientific articles on it. But, um, yeah, that's what I would do. I would look up, um, you know, the science on cribbing and what different, um, researchers have to say about different issues, and they'll test like cortisone levels and chance of colic, blah, 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 ulcer, stuff like that. But generally, horses that crib, if you prevent them, unfortunately, um, it can get a lot worse. Um, However, there are some ways to really help horses with that, and providing them with access to grazing all of the time really helps with that because horses that crib tend to lose a lot of weight, and I'm pretty sure... I could be totally, absolutely 110% wrong here. But I would imagine that cribbing releases endorphins and dopamine. um, But you also get that from eating. It's like a pleasure um, neurotransmitter, neurochemical, whatever. Um, So... Um, having the horse be able to eat all the time. Um, maybe even out of like, um, they have those really big hay bale bags, um, nets that you can, they can eat through and it uh, simulates grazing. So maybe one of those would be good. Uh, and that way the horses can eat all the time and making sure they have access to buddies, lots of place to roam. Horses are less likely to crib if they, um, are in a really big pasture, Um, obviously your circumstance is going to, um, determine that for the most part. Um, I just watched a kitten out the window scare herself because she moved a door. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so maybe, um, just really taking a hard look at, um, you know, the environmental circumstances. I know for rescues, especially it can be really hard. Um, but maybe you guys could set up like a Patreon or a GoFundMe or something, um, if you haven't already and see if you could. Um, bring in some more money. A lot of Facebook pages and campaigns will let you do that too. I know like on birthdays and stuff, like you can set up like a charity that you want people to donate money to for your birthday. And usually I do horse ones for mine. Um, so maybe just make sure you're on that list. Um, so you could also do that, promote it, uh, make sure that the page is like really out there on social media, posting pictures of the horses and stuff. So people feel familiar with them and will want to pay to help them. Um, as far as weaving goes, um, Zoe is a, is a weaver, like badly. Every time we would take her to a show, she would weave and weave and weave. And oh my God, it was like, it drove me crazy. Cause I was like, stop, why are you so anxious? And I thought it was like cute and funny, but I also knew that there was a problem. Like as I got older, I was like, maybe not so much. And, um, it got to the point where I couldn't have a stall guard up at shows because people would walk up to her stall door and she'd be weaving and they're like, oh my God, she's dancing. And I was like, oh my God, get off of her stall, <laughs> Karen, go away. Um, so, uh, it, it is a tricky thing, but I will tell you, she has almost entirely stopped weaving since I took her out of a stall. She now has a buddy 24 seven and she is outside in a pasture with access to grazing and, um, uh, grass and hay and green and all sorts of things. Um, so that really helped her. Um, also I changed her lifestyle from negative reinforcement to positive reinforcement. I noticed a significant decrease in it, um, as she got used to being out and as our training progressed, cause when I first moved her outside, um, I was still, um, she still had shoes on and I was still like, you know, I didn't know too much about positive reinforcement at the time. But then as I started reading more, I was like, eh, and this is going to be a controversial sentence that's about to come out of my mouth. But you know what? Look it up because I'm not wrong. Um, horses, like I always thought that the special horses were the ones that needed to be in the stalls, but actually those are the ones that are like getting the least or the worst treatment, um, because they are not designed to be in a 12 by 12 box. Sorry. They're just not, um, so herd animals designed to be in herds designed to be outside. I know that us helicopter moms, I am one, I am one. You're like, Oh, but what about the storms and stuff? They have a shelter and they will go in there, but most of the day they choose not to stand in the shelter all day long, but that, that's the thing. They have the choice. Um, this is not the podcast for me to get into, um, stabling, but, um, that is definitely something I feel pretty strongly about. Of course, we still have some horses that are stabled, but, um, I don't think it's entirely, um, necessary or for the benefit of the horse. A lot of the reason that growing up that I did was because my trainer told me my horse would bleach if I didn't. Um, but really we were just feeding shitty food. (laughs) Also, she colicked because of shitty food and high stressing, uh, lifestyle. But now we feed really good food and she is, um, outside all the time. Um, and Zoe is outside all the time. And I almost, I think I've given her maybe, I don't know, 15 baths in the two years that I've been here and she doesn't bleach. None of our horses bleach. The horses that, um, live outside all day long and never get touched, um, you know, our back 40 horses that are the old geriatric horses, they don't bleach and it's because they are fed well, you know? So it's, it's, it's just so frustrating. Cause I mean, we make up all these reasons and it's just not the case. And also our horses rarely sustain injuries. So, I mean, it's, it's just the arguments for stabling are just not, they're just people (laughs) inflicting their values on horses and it's again not fair nor is it ever usually um and I know most of the people that stable are trying to do the best for their horses but if you guys want me to talk about that shoot me some emails and just be like I want an episode on stalling and why or why not so and I can do a full episode on it because it would take me a really long time to get to all of my points as to why I am not for it Hmm. Uh, All righty, guys, before we move on to the next question, I want to do one more sponsor and then we'll be done for the rest of the episode. Okay? Okay. Three, two, one, go. Okay. So listener Mariah asks, um, I have a half lease soon to be full on buy for a 14 year old uh, off the track thoroughbred mare named Nikki. She was a lesson horse and was pretty deep in learned helplessness, but thankfully she's finally just got over it and started to show some emotion. That oops, sorry, kicked my computer there. That being uh said, it's also uncovered a lot of issues such as being afraid of the wash bay and water. The other day when I was trying to give her a bath, she was anxious and squirmy, so I decided to ask one of the older, more experienced people at my barn if they knew any ways of desensitizing her. She came over and just sort of sprayed her with the hose and I could tell Nikki was pretty scared, but I didn't speak up because They knew what they were doing, um, and I trusted them, plus I'm shy and hate conflict. I sort of just kept doing this because she seemed to be doing better, and she really needed a bath. This seemed to work until I was almost done, and then she started to get really anxious and kind of did a weird bow thing against the lead rope. I quickly pulled the knot, and she um, rear-slash-jumped back out of the bay. I quickly sponged the rest of the soap off and put her in a stall to dry. She seemed to be fine, but after... um, Wait, she she seemed to be fine after but my first question to you is how do you think i should reintroduce her to the water with preferably positive reinforcement little backstory haven't done any positive reinforcement with her but i'm very interested and like i said i have a half lease on her and don't want to confuse her also we aren't allowed to leave hay in the wash bay okay so you can use alfalfa pellets there um for a 50 pound bag oh god i forget how much it is i don't think it's that much it's like I really don't want to give a wrong number here. I think it's under $20. Could be totally wrong. It's linked on my website, jadekwethery.com slash favorite-products. Or you can just go to jadekwethery.com, click um, plus our help, and then favorite products is one of the tabs. Um, It has all of the stuff that I use on that website. Um, So that's why I pay $150 a year for it. So please, God, use it. Um, (laughs) It's for you. It's not for me. Um, Anyway sorry about that. Um, the last episode last week, I talked all about that. I am sorry that you had that experience and it sucks. I also cannot sit here and shame you for not saying anything, even though you knew it was wrong. But what I would say is listen to your intuition because you're right. It doesn't have to be that way. Um, it just doesn't, you don't have to train horses like that. And that is the good news. And the good news is you are also an empathetic human who is like, I didn't like that. I want the horse to be comfortable that doesn't seem to be making her more comfortable. So don't, uh, you know, hurt yourself or beat yourself up for that. Um, Last week's episode, I pretty well in depth discussed that. So give that a listen. I believe that's episode 23. Um, I believe the first part of the title is like a water phobia or something. Um, So give that a listen. But um, this email has more questions here. So I'm going to get into that. Secondly, of the other things we've uncovered is that she used to be a very lazy, docile horse, but now seems to have no brakes and holds her head very high when riding her. This is a very, I'm chiming in here, very similar situation to the first question. When horses come out of learned helplessness, they kind of turn into heathens. Um, But it's because, you know, they're not no longer being, you know, tortured or oppressed. And so, you know, it's it's a good sign frustrating and annoying and potentially scary but a good sign nonetheless so there is a silver lining in that very dark cloud with big hooves and pinned ears <laughs> um okay I'm gonna keep reading um ooh, my laptop is about to die so I'm gonna plug that bad boy up look at there all done Okay. Um, I'm worried that this might eventually cause her to develop a kissing spine. <laughs> yes, feel you. And I'm trying to prevent it. So I was wondering if you had any tips for people who want to know how to prevent what happened to you and Zoe. P.S. Sorry about Zoe having kissing spine. It must really suck for both of you. It does. Um, <laughs> uh, it sucks so bad, um, from happening to them. I also like to know your opinion on martingales because I don't want to use one if, th- if they aren't humane, but I also don't know any other way of training her to carry her head lower. So, um it's kind of like like I feel sick in my stomach at how long this answer is going to be hopefully I can find a way to make it short um but yeah so hissing spine um you know genetic or um physical oh what's the word Okay, it can either happen, or a combination of the two can happen um, because of genetic factors, like a genetic predisposition, or by the way they carry themselves, they can kind of scrunch all those muscles together and lose the top line, and then that becomes a problem. So, obviously, as the listener is saying, what you want to do is get the horse to lower their head. Martingales, I don't think they're inherently inhumane or anything like that. I just think they're, like, all the way unnecessary. Like, there's no point. Because the, the thing that a martingale does like a standing martingale, the horse has to hold their head up to hit that. But when the horse hits the end of the martingale, they might drop their head an inch or a few inches, but they're not going to get into the frame that you want them. Same thing with a running martingale. If you pull the reins back, you know, the horse will lower its head a little bit. But if you try to get the head, the head to like the height that you want, you're just going to end up trying to make the horse touch his head or his chin to his neck. It's not going to get the back posture that you want. So it's, I don't think that's the solution to this. Um, obviously like people are like, Oh, the horse's head is high, make it go down. Um, but that only really comes through, um, training. So, um, what I would recommend doing is doing lots of long and low work, um, with this horse. I would really, um, maybe you can, what I would do if it were my horse, this is this is what I would do. So Zoe, for instance, she knows how to drop her head. I say calm and she puts her nose on the ground. Um, so then the next step is teaching her that when I say calm, she, and you don't have to use that word. That's just the word I use. Then when you say calm and walk, she keeps her head down walking. Um, and then click and treat for that. And then gradually work up. And then you can transfer it to the saddle. Um, that's one way to do it or I mean you can do it the traditional way and you can just have the horse long and low um in a frame um there are lots of videos online of um you know working a horse in a long and low frame and um but the key component is hind end engagement um preventing kissing spine does not come from a horse having his head low it comes from the horse's hind end being under himself like up under and when that happens it forces the back to round so if you picture the horse as like say the horse is a rainbow okay just for shits and giggles he's a rainbow so if you take the left side of that rainbow and push it under um like closer to the front feet the back of the rainbow like the top is going to round so that's the back of the horse you're pushing the feet under engaging the hind end to where they're tracking up their hind footprints are stepping into their front footprints um and it makes the back lift and the back lifting is what separates the vertebrae so if you're sitting right now while you're listening to me and if you round your back like you're a turtle you can feel your your back spread out. And that's essentially what the horses are doing. So they tuck their hind end under. So if you tuck your tailbone, your back rounds. And that's what you're wanting your horse to do. And with that comes a lift in the shoulder and a drop in the head. The horse can't be round in the back with his head up in the air. Um, so uh, a lot of that starts at walk and building those muscles. Because the horse can't just come doing that for 20 minutes at trot. You have to build up to it. Um, and then being able to do that um at trot comes with time. So don't beat yourself up that the horse has got a high head right now. Um and uh you know, be grateful. She's expressing to you that um she's coming out of learned helplessness. Um again, can be scary and potentially frightening, but do your best. And um just know that you're working for the betterment of your horse and it's okay. And sometimes it's going to be messy and sometimes it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be clean. It's not going to be easy, but it's okay. Cause you're both on a journey together and you're in it together. You're here for your horse and that is what matters. So, um, you know, just really work on that. Think about having the hind end engaged and that comes with forward first and then half halt. So if you send the horse forward and then half halt up with your abs, ask the horse to, um, what a half halt does is it rebalances the horse on the hind end. So you're asking them to engage. Um, and they kind of like that abrupt stop helps them round cause they're, when their front end stops their hind end kind of runs into it and then it helps that like rounding process i guess um so half halting to help lift the front end and engage the hind end elevate the front end round the back drop the head hope that helps address that question um okay next one my last question is pretty simple because um because of years of being in a lesson program and having young kids just learning to ride on her she's uh, learned and developed the habit of running out of jumps My habit or my trainer wants me to stop her and make her back up behind the jump and then come at it again. But I've been doing this for a year and hate it every time I have to do it. Yeah. Also, is it working on it? Like, why do people do that? Obviously, you've been doing this for a year. The horse runs out of the jump. You stop it, back it up and go over the jump. And the horse has continued to run out for a year. Clearly, it's time to change the trainer. Like, I'm not, I'm not yelling at you, listener. I'm yelling at the trainer. That's bad training. You, oh, that frustrates me so bad. (laughs) Like, duh. The definition of insanity is continuing to do something that doesn't fucking work. Okay? Like, that, ugh, it makes no sense. Like, okay, if you are trying to get smarter and you beat your head against a wall, it's hurting you. It's not making you feel good, but you've been told this is the only way, you know, that you're going to make yourself smarter. So you keep doing it and you're not getting smarter, but you keep doing it like that is what the trainer's doing. That's so irritating and just not educated. Um, I have been there too, by the way, I was told to do this all the time. Rip her face off, make her stop, come back to the front, stand her in front of me, kick her over it. Yeah. All of those things been there, done that doesn't work. Um, what it is, is a sign of a lack of balance. If your horse has its head up in the air, chances are when you're coming into a jump, the horse is not paying attention to the jump, nor is she prepared for the jump. Because if a horse's head is up in the air, their back is, um, is arched, um, or hollow as we call it. So the opposite of what I told you to do, if you're sitting, instead of rounding your back, arch it, like bring your belly button as far forward as you can and your butt and shoulders back. That's what the horse is doing. And... Do you think that you could jump over something with your back hyperextended like this? I don't think so. So when this happens, the horse's hind end is just running out behind him. What a horse has to do to be able to jump is if if you watch a horse jump in slow motion, they come up to it and they plant their front feet and their hind end comes way under them to meet the front feet and then it pushes up. So if a horse is hollow coming into a jump, their hind end is way out behind them, just paddling behind them. They don't have the, like that is a way big jump to go from feet paddling out behind them to all the way swinging up front to where the front feet are. So if, you know, if the horse has got a round back and an engaged hind end, it's already there. It's already in position. It's ready to go. But if the horse's feet are out behind him and his back is arched and his head is up, Hell, he might not even see the jump because his head's up so high. You know, he's not focused on that. He's like, oh, my God, this is not comfortable. Um, So and then chances are when their head is up that high, they're also running on their forehand. And it is super hard for a horse to jump. 60% of their body weight is up front. It's super hard for them to lift that up if they don't have any help from behind. So Considering all of those things, I would say your trainer is not seeing that it is an issue of the horse's balance and how the horse is traveling. So if it were me and my horse, I would take a step back from jumping, work on the horse's flat work and dressage um, and build a strong top line and a really good um, way of going so that you've trained the horse's body how to move properly And then you can jump because right now it just, it sounds like a recipe for disaster. And it's frustrating both you and the horse. It's dangerous. And, um, you know, the horse is getting punished for no reason because it's not the horse's fault. It is the rider and trainer's responsibility to advocate for the horse and to set them up for success. Cause the horse, like if you put the horse free in the arena and you're just chilling on its back and you do zero things to make the horse go forward or to jump, the horse is not going to jump. So, if you're asking something of your horse, you better damn well be sure that you're asking correctly. And again, not harping on you listener, this is to trainers and people out there worldwide. If you're asking something of your horse, make sure you know what you're asking and why you're asking it and the proper way to ask it, not just demanding that the horse do things because it owes you. Like, fuck that. Anyway, continuing this question, um my trainer wants me to stop her back her up blah blah blah. It hasn't stopped. Um, it probably also has something to do with self and ulcers, but we're currently trying to fix those. Good on you. Definitely do that. My trainer has recently started wanting me to ride with a whip and hit her with it in conjunction with stopping and backing, but I don't want to even more. So I was wondering if you could think of any other ways to train this, train out this behavior, what I just said. Um, also, is there um, some way ulcers could have fixed themselves because six months ago I would have touched her on the palpating points and she would have thrown her head up and tried to bite me, but now I touch them and she just kind of stares at me a weirdly tiny bit irritated um yeah I think I don't know I really haven't done a ton of research on this um but I didn't treat Zoe for ulcers um because it had already been like a year and a half um when I started like really reading about them cause it was an issue that I was addressing with Mac um so but Zoe seemed fine and she didn't palpate for it um but I know she she had to have had them um because I, you couldn't touch her without her trying to bite you um, so yeah, I, I think obviously that's anecdotal. That is one experience. I don't know if they completely go away. I should probably check that palpate her again and make sure and treat her if she does, but I would do some research on that. You could always have her scoped or you could just go ahead and treat her. That's honestly kind of the cheapest option. You just buy a few tubes of gastro or ulcer guard and then pump them full of it at the recommended, like the box tells you how to treat for it. Um, and then you can fix it. But they can also come back super easy, you know, if they are out or if they get on a super stressful trailer ride or anything. I mean, so just beware of that. But, yeah, I think that the best way to do that would be to take a step back. Also, it depends on your situation. I would move trainers, to be honest. I would because it's just – it's so hard. Like I said in a previous episode, it is so hard to – when somebody has already established an authority position over you – um, for like, for me, like, obviously you could just be like, this is my horse. I do what I want, you know, but that's hard for some of us. Some of us introverts, people pleasers. It is a little bit more difficult than that. Um, so I would just be like, it's not really working. I'm not really like vibing with the training here. So I'm going to go somewhere else. And then when you move to a different bar and you can be like, this is the way I train my horse. Um, can you, can you work with that? You know, like, can we work around that? Cause I will not, whip I will not like you can set boundaries like that or you could talk to your trainer and be like look here's a list of things I'm not comfortable with here's my plan I want to work on um on flat work I don't want to jump right now because I don't think my horse is strong enough I want to get her correct on the ground um and really work on building a top line naturally not by using a bunch of different gadgets I want to work long and low slowly building up strength slowly building up stamina conditioning this horse to carry herself the right way And then we can start jumping again, but I don't want to rush her into it. I want to slow down and take a step back. You could say that 100%. It's just whether or not you want to. I also understand that this is a lease situation. So, um, you know, if you're leasing from your trainer, it may be a little bit more difficult to, um, you know, fully make that happen. But I would go ahead and like see if you could like sever that tie and buy the horse so you can, you know, say those sorts of things. Um, but it's a tricky situation if you don't own the horse, especially if the person telling you how to ride the horse owns the horse. Um, so I hope that helps somewhat give you some things to think about. I'm going to take another drink of water. Very hot. My neck is on fire. This tiny house does not believe in air conditioning. And especially when I start talking, I get so hot. Okay. This question is long and also a three-parter so listener Eliza says i started to do some positive reinforcement and have really seen my horse flourish she's happy to be um apart and taken out of her paddock she would also not let me rug take her rug off in the paddock without a fight but now she's quite happy to she walks up to me willingly and calls to me it is amazing and feels like a real partnership is growing better than that we better than we have ever had i only do positive reinforcement on the ground as i do not feel comfortable doing it under saddle i have a few questions um horse's background can be quite spooky i've had her for four years um and i've really struggled with confidence with her for a very long time but i love her i want her to be happy i'm only able to get to see her one time a week which is really hard and i wish i could do more because i love her to bits and she does so good to only be ridden once a week um hopefully it will change soon as we are buying a farm and then we'll spend every experiment with her okay that is a difficult situation to only be able to see her once a week i definitely do not take advantage of the amount of time that i have with zoe i'm definitely not utilizing that <sighs> but i also have a lot to do Ugh. okay question number one. Oh my god it's already almost 10 o'clock here jeez um oh, that was a good burp sorry i just decided to start checking my phone yep just needed to know it's been a minute it's been 59 minutes since i looked at it last okay Question number one, I am really nervous about riding, and right now I am only doing walk and trot, as I am very nervous about riding. It is not her fault whatsoever, as she is a really good horse and super happy to do whatever, so long as it's not scary. I've just had um, my nerves knocked back too many times on her, as I have fallen off and broken my arm twice on her, dear God, um, and she has bolted with me quite a few times. I am now at a level where I'm stronger, and she is too, and I feel as though my nerves are getting in the way. Sorry, the question, <laughs> don't apologize. question is, do you have any suggestions for overcoming nerves while riding horses? Um, so what I would do if I were you, um, cause for reference, I used to also be a very nervous rider. Um, I kind of do like a really unhealthy compartmentalizing while I ride. Actually, I don't know if it's, I don't know. I'm quick to label it unhealthy, but, um, when I am riding a horse that I'm nervous on, I just like, uh, somehow I'm able to just compartmentalize and push it out. And because I'm like, I don't know how, because in any other situation, I'm not very good at like controlling anxiety but in that particular situation I'm always like nope we're just gonna do it and I stopped thinking about it and I'm like we're good we're just going um like I remember when I was prepping Flit to go to Holly Hill um and compete at Beginner Novice it was the first first show for him I'd only ridden him for under a month but um I had started prepping him for that and um the trainer that I was working with was like she's just popping me over x-rails verticals blah 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 and then all of a sudden she just starts pointing me like i mean we worked up to it but she's like pointing me at like three foot like cross-country fences or you know three 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 six cross-country fences on a bending line and the horse is more than capable and he's such a good boy but i was like i haven't jumped that high in like almost two years Hi, i'm terrified (laughs) and um so i was just like because you know I don't know if you guys, you jumpers feel me out there. If you've ever taken a break, it's a little bit hard to get back to where you were because suddenly everything looks very large again and you have to rework your brain to thinking it's small. But that's a very similar situation to what you have here. Obviously, it'll be so much easier when you can ride frequently, um, you know, and maybe um, a good option to work on your anxiety would be to just work with your horse on the ground and develop a really strong bond so that when you do move the horse and you can start riding more regularly, then you'll be able to like keep it consistent so you can make that proverbial jump look smaller. Um, And then you'll also have the added effect of like being really strong in your relationship and being like, I trust this horse endlessly so we can work on whatever issue presents itself um so yeah I think that's what I would do with nerves um you know if if you can it takes a lot of a lot of willpower um you know maybe write down what you're afraid of like the everything that worries you about horses and then you know like I mean you can write it down and just be like what would happen if like if my horse spooks you know, most likely I'm probably going to be able to hang on and deal with it. Um, you know, maybe work out some, like you said, you have. You've worked up to it to get stronger, um, to where you're able to, you know, have a better advantage in those situations. Um, you know, help desensitize the horse. Teach her that scary things um, bring good things. You know, have her target a bunch of scary stuff and give her snacks when she does. Obviously, build up to it. Don't just like present her with like a wobbly clown doll. Um, Sorry, had a hangnail and I'm gross. Um, yeah, so I hope that helps with that somewhat. Um, but just remember lots of people have nerves with horses. It is, it is a scary thing to do and your survival instincts are like, Hey dude, not a good plan. What the heck? Have you not paid attention to our history? But, um, you can always improve. It always gets better. When I was younger, I used to fall off all the time. Now I try not to do that because it hurts very badly. Um, Okay, number two, when I'm riding my horse, she will not move any faster than a walk without a whip in hand. I don't hit her very hard with it. If anything, I might give her a very light tap on the shoulder or bum, but I do not feel comfortable riding with it as she moves a lot faster, and I want her to move on because she wants to, not because she feels like she has to. I do have a feeling that it is not a custom-fitting saddle and that she is uncomfortable, but I, but I cannot afford that, and I really wish I could, as I do worry she's in pain and is saying, hello, I don't like it, it hurts, please stop. And when I have a whip, she's like, oh, okay, I don't have the choice uh, not to move. Uh, I just have to move, otherwise I'll get hurt. Again, I don't hit her with it, I promise. (laughs) I really don't want her feeling like that. I really don't know. Um, Okay, so um, my first thought with that to test out if it is a saddle problem is switch to a bareback pad for a week. That might be a little bit too much for you if – you know, if you're a little bit nervy in the saddle, but, you know, maybe all you could do is walk in a really safe area that, um, she knows really well and is not prone to spooking her. Um, you know, just throw a bareback pad on if you can. Borrow one from somebody or, I know Facebook has a bunch of cheap ones online. I know not everybody can um have access to that. You could ride bareback, but I prefer riding with a bareback pad because it's a little bit more grippy and also Zoe has a fucking shark fin <laughs> and um sorry, I like my private bits i don't do not want to shred those on her fin um so i um when I ride her bareback, I put on a really fluffy poly pad it's a saddle pad that's like really poofy. Um, and then a half pad and then a bareback pad, but you could just do a bareback pad or just hop on bareback and then just ride her around and see if she feels more forward. I would do it for like a week to see. Um, but also, um, it's, it's nicer to have a bareback pad because, you know, you could just have a confounding variable by getting on her. And then if your butt bone is pressing into her back, when it's sore from the saddle, um, it could cause a problem. Again, this might be a situation where you just want to focus on groundwork and um, working on building a confident relationship with her, um, saving up for a saddle or saving up for a bareback pad um, and... Yeah, cuz I mean the thing with uh, an ill-fitting saddle is it might take some time for the the pain to wear off, um especially if you don't have access to like a chiropractor or a masseuse or a muscle therapist or things like that. Um it can take a lot of time for that pain to sort of subside if it will. Um so, you know, that could also be screwing up your experiment trying to see if she goes better in a sat or without a saddle or not, um to see if the saddle is a problem. You could also just have a saddle fitter out. I don't know how much each fitter charges, but you could always call and be like, how much is a consult, you know? Um, and then work from there. Um, so yeah, I hope, hope that helps answer that question. Number three, sometimes when I'm tacking up to ride and I put the saddle on, she will start bloating her tummy and it can get hard to get the girth on. I feel bad as I don't want to hurt her. as She's done this ever since I got her. Um, but she also hates getting tacked up. She'll move away from the saddle and raises her head when I bring the bit to her. She has gotten a bit better as we, um, replasted her bit with a double joint, oh, replaced her bit <laughs> with a double jointed snaffle as she is a bit more comfortable and does not fight as much uh, when we first got her um, I'm sorry, I'm having a really hard time reading guys it's not her message, it's it's my eyeballs um, she would shut her mouth and refuse to open it, we would stand there for a while waiting for her to open her mouth, but she's gotten a lot better um, since I've started using positive reinforcement, do you have any suggestions on how I can deal with the bloating? so, I mean, it kind of sounds like she is, um, not enjoying being ridden, And, uh, it sounds like it's probably the saddle. I mean, obviously I can't diagnose from afar here. Um, but it sounds like the saddle could be a really good, um, really good reason that she's, um, exhibiting all of those behaviors. It's good that you found a bit that she prefers. Um, and obviously, you know, you don't want to make her uncomfortable, but I would, um, I would work on the saddle issue. That is a huge, huge, huge thing. Um, So if it were me, I would probably invest in a bareback pad. I have one linked on my website. I don't, I might make money from it. Honestly, I'm really not sure. I think I have like an Amazon associates thing, but it, it's like, I have to make like 10 bucks to get paid and I've only been paid like once. So, I mean, I think every purchase I get like two cents or something. So it's, I'm not promoting it because I'm making a ton of money here, but I have a saddle pad on my website also. Uh, or a bareback pad. Um, that's really comfortable. And it's like, I think it's 70 bucks. I think it goes on sale pretty frequently, um, on Amazon. So maybe if you have the honey brow extension, browser bar extension to where you get discounts and stuff, um, you could, um, put that on a drop list. That's what I do because I'm also poor. Um, I've just been fortunate enough with my parents to help me out with the saddle thing because that was a problem for Zoe and Newsflash. I still can't ride her because she has kissing spine. (laughs) Um, And that's also another thing. I mean, you never know uh, with horses if that could be the issue also. And it just sucks because they're so expensive to try and figure out issues. But if it were me, it sounds like you're just having a lot of issues around riding. And um, if you're about to have you know, some resolution to where you're able to work with her more often, I would kind of just hold off and not really try and make any big changes right now. Um, if anything, maybe you can just like leave the saddle off of her and, um, let her back kind of recuperate if that is the problem, you know, um, and start working on like long and low groundwork things, um, build her top line in case kissing spine is the problem. Um, because that's the thing about kissing spine. I mean, you can get x-rays, um, done, but you know, those are expensive. And if you'd rather not do that, then you can just work on groundwork stuff. Um, A lot of protocol for um, kissing spine. I know um, if you would like a kissing spine uh, rehab regimen, I know um, one of my valuable listeners, you know who you are, sent me a really awesome schedule. I haven't personally used it yet because um, I'm still debating on whether or not I would like to lunge Zoe because I just I feel bad. And it's not because lunging is inherently bad. It's just like when I took her out to the arena, I was like slinging the lead rope at her hind end and she just looked at me like, for real, you're going to have to push a lot harder if you would like me to do this. And I was like, I don't want to. So I haven't decided if I want to reintroduce lunging or not, but at the rate we are going, she is never going to have a healthy back. So, um, I'm working on it. I'm trying to decide. But anyway, my point is I can forward that to you or, um, have her the listener who sent me that good old stuff I can uh have her send it to me again I can forward it to you if that's something you want or you can look up one of your own or make your own um and then that's something fun for you to do on the ground and build your relationship with your horse um so that you don't have to worry about riding or your fear and I'm not recommending that you never ride again because you're afraid but um I think working on the ground can help you really give a feel to where you get more comfortable to ride in the saddle Anyway, that would be a good way. I'm trying to think of cost-effective ways. That way, you know, maybe if kissing spine is the issue, you could just rule it out. Oop, alarm. That would be my, you need to think about going to bed, alarm. Um, (laughs) But you could um, could do that. Um, You know, just go ahead and try and rule that bad boy out. Um, Yeah, so let's see. The next one here is... Okay, next question. Anonymous listener asks, what are my thoughts on liberty training if I have any knowledge or opinions on it and the differences between it and positive reinforcement? I always thought they went in hand in hand, but I've never tried liberty, so not entirely sure of the process. Um, well, it depends on your definition of liberty. If you are like me, when I was two years younger than I am currently, before I am doing research, um, liberty means um, working in a field in a wonderful white dress, with a horse and it's doing very fun things around you without any tack on um what liberty to me means now is there's nothing on the horse there's just we're in a field or in at a beach i wish oh, lol well, not that good yet um but just like the horse the horse is not controlled or constrained the horse is just is at liberty at liberty to stay at liberty to leave um what liberty is not a method to me except If you are Mosey Truitt, (laughs) if you are Mosey Truitt, Liberty horsemanship is a thing because you have coined it as your business name. And that is the method in which you use to train. That is the only circumstance that Liberty training is a method. Um, Other than that, it is, it's like a facet of training to me at least, but the method is either negative reinforcement or positive reinforcement. In most cases, you are either applying pressure and releasing it, or you are adding a treat and reinforcing behavior for being good things, whatever. Um, So, that is my opinion on that. Um, Just, liberty's not really a thing. Like, the people that you see online using whips and no treats, they, like, Pirelli is all negative reinforcement and training that way. And it's not inherently bad, but, again, the way I feel about negative reinforcement, it's not a bad thing itself. We all experience it all the time. It just has a tendency to be really unpleasant a lot of the time or um, uh, get much more abused than positive reinforcement. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all just... I have the beholder our application of the trainer. Um so that's what I have to say on that. I love working at Liberty. Um but I don't Liberty training isn't really a thing. Um Okay. Another quick question from the same listener here. Oh my god, I'm so burpy. It's so annoying. Um, I've taught my horse to use her <laughs> to halt and back up while using positive reinforcement using voice cues Woe back saying good boy and treating um, and he does it which he seems to have mastered, However now whenever he wants a treat he halts and backs up without me asking him for it I should add he is a big food lover So he will do pretty much anything for a treat Another issue I've had is if I say anything at all he'll sometimes woe and back up even when I haven't used the cues Um, I don't treat him when he does this as I haven't asked him for anything, but when I put my leg on and ask him to walk on, he'll sometimes just back up faster. Um, so before I read the rest of the email, it's just, it sounds like a case of not being put on stimulus control. The horse, um, I'm, I don't know if you've done more than, um, er, cueing for backup. Um, but if that's all the horse knows, any word that comes out of your mouth, he's going to be like. Oh, back. Yes. Um, so you have to put it on stimulus control to where he knows that the only time he does that behavior is when you use the stimulus. So, um, I hate, I hate to say when he backs up, when you don't ask to just not reinforce, um, because that is sort of an extinction process and also negative punishment. Um, where you're withholding the treat because they're doing the wrong behavior. um, I think how I would correct this is to teach walk-on, to teach the opposite. Um, So you can tell him to go forward also. So um, when the horse stops and backs up, um, obviously I would teach it from the ground first. But um, when you're on, teach a walk-on cue. And if the horse takes a step forward, click and treat for that. Um, Now, what you don't want to happen Um, and this is a lot of behaviors for this horse to do, to get there. Um, but what you would not want to happen is for the horse to, like, if you go too long without reinforcing and the horse stops, backs up, and then goes forward because he's guessing, um, you don't want that to happen. And if that does happen, that's probably an indication that the horse is confused, frustrated, or your rate of reinforcement is not high enough. You're not, you're not rewarding enough. The horse doesn't understand duration. Um, so those are possible reasons for that but I would put it on stimulus control where um anytime the horse does the behavior when it's not cued then you just don't reinforce and you reinforce an incompatible behavior um which would be the walking forward um but yeah that I think that's probably what I would do but I would teach it from the the ground first so that you're not just on the horse and then he's backing up and you're like walk on Walk on, or you're kicking and like making him go forward. Um, but it sounds like he's getting really frustrated and stressed out uh, with the backing up faster. So that's probably where Amador. I'm going to finish reading the email. I'm pretty sure. Not sure if he hasn't associated the cues with the actions or if he's just trying to, uh, trying his like for more treats. Um, he always looks at me like, question mark, question mark, question mark. I backed up. Where's my treat? Um, when I don't treat him. Haha. Yeah, that's happened to me a few times with Zoe, and it's usually an indication that you need to be clearer. Um, or you are not reinforcing enough and the horse doesn't understand duration that he has to wait. Um, or maybe the, the reinforcement isn't worth it in the end. Um, I always use the cues on the ground too, but he generally responds better to a tap on the shoulder and, or me stepping towards him to a back rather than a voice cue, or it could be a combination of both. Okay. I have to say that I had this problem too, um, with Zoe one of the first things i taught her in her pasture was if i scratched the like the point of her her shoulder on like near her chest then she would back up. and now i've got this problem where anytime i touch there she backs up. she's like, "oh, i know that." and but i've i stopped reinforcing for that a long time ago. still hasn't completely weeded itself out. but um i also did um, I was doing too much with my body language. And it is so hard because you want to help them. You want them to get the right answer. But sometimes you kind of have to hold out a little bit and see if they'll try something. Um, so again, new cue, old cue, behavior, click, treat is the order of that we're going here. So if the horse is on the ground and you're facing them and your cue for backup has been to walk towards them, what you're going to do is say, back, wait a beat walk towards them. When they give the right behavior, click, treat. Eventually the word back is going to predict your walking forward. And so the horse will back. And then you can continue to wait a beat to see if the horse will respond. Obviously the first few times he's not going to. You're just going to have to say back, walk towards the horse, click, treat. And then over time he'll be like, oh, just in the same way that the click is a predictor for food, the word back will be a predictor for the walking towards them cue. So then the horse learns at back that he might as well just back up. and get his treat faster. Um, that's how you train the vocal cue and you have, eventually you have to stop walking towards the horse. You have to let them figure it out. Um, if the horse responds to saying back, then you can like every time up the criteria, you know, challenge them a little bit, not too much to where they get frustrated or confused. But with Zoe, I had to stop myself because I was doing so much I was like walking towards her or wiggling or moving my arms or looking really hard behind her um but now I just I can be anywhere on her and say back and she will walk backwards um but just because I had to tell myself stop doing so much with your body stop helping let her do it she's smart enough and she did and she figured it out without any frustration or anything and sometimes um you know if you give them a second, they'll try even harder, especially if you have been work, if that's all you've done in the session and the horse is like, like really backed up a lot. If you say back, they'll already be ready for it. And then you can click and treat and then transfer it that way also. So there's that. Um, okay. Uh, However, he does respond well to voice cues on their own when lunging, which makes me think he does understand them. Voice cues and lunging can be different because you've taught them through negative reinforcement. Usually, um, Like with Zoe's back cue after I scratched her shoulder and she backed up, I was like, I don't want to do that anymore because I don't want her to think anytime I pet her, she needs to back up and she does by the way. Um, so I stopped doing that entirely and now I just have to work on being able to pet her while she's standing. That doesn't mean back up, but I just haven't done it yet. Um, But usually, um, if you teach it through negative reinforcement, like it sounds like you have, then you're going to have to rely on that until you can transition it. So I would just start over and do it with positive reinforcement because Zoe now knows to back up without any negative reinforcement. But lunging cues, usually Zoe is the same way. Uh, When she's on the lunge line, um, you know, now is a little bit different because it's been two years since I freaking lunged her. But when I was training her, you know, eventing regularly, um, I could put the lunge line on her. She'd go out on the circle herself and I would say trot and she'd pick up a trot, but it's because the way that negative reinforcement cues are taught is you start at like the max and you work back. So, um, you know, the horse, you say trot and if they don't respond, then you chase them with the, the whip or smack them or with the whip or whatever, or you wave the into the lunge line behind him, whatever you can do to get them to go forward. Um, so the horse Response to the cue in avoidance of the escalation. Um, and that's normally how negative reinforcement works. It's either nagging pressure, annoying, that just doesn't change and it's just static, or it is escalating in intensity. So usually that's why, um, is because they're like, oh God, they're going to chase me if I don't. Um, so um, also, vo- voice cues are not universal. If the horse is responding to them on the lunge line, like maybe the horse thinks that that's the only context that those are those that they have to do it in it hasn't been generalized to other contexts um and not all words are the same you know if the horse knows walk trot and canter whoa on the lunge line he's not going to inherently know back that's a different a different word um okay any advice on how to stop him from halting back up when riding when i haven't asked okay yeah i already answered so i like to just read the email in bursts so i can answer some of it My teeth are getting very cold right now. I don't know why. Let's see how many more questions we have here. One, two, three. Okay. I'm going to try and burn through these because the last episode I almost couldn't upload because it was too long. So they have to stay under two and a half hours. Um, okay. Anonymous listener says recently when working on tricks, if I show my horse what to do, like a Spanish walk, I will walk and pick up my legs and click and he'll do the same and click, give him a treat. Um, sometimes he doesn't do it or will stop and pick up his legs. So I keep doing it until he does. Um, I think he gets mad when I don't give him a treat and when he stops and he'll try and kick me. Is there something I'm doing wrong? Uh, when he doesn't, when he does it right, I will click and treat, but when he doesn't, I will still ask him until he gets it right. I don't hit him or anything when he tries, but I'm not sure what to do. Um, so, also, uh, oh, wait, she said you can add my name if you're going to answer on the podcast. Well, shoot, I didn't get that far in the email. (laughs) Um, I normally, I put them in the list on the notes on my computer, um, so that they're all in one place, and I don't have to sift through my emails. Um, though I do have a very sophisticated organization system, otherwise I will forget all of my emails. Um, but this is easier for me. Um. I don't know what your name is. I'm so sorry, but you did tell me that I could use it. So that's my bad. Thank you for that. Um, anyway. Um, yeah. So it sounds like it, the horse is confused. Um, what I would do is I would back down the criteria so much and ask for less. Um, wherever the horse is really successful is your launching pad. If you're standing next to him and you lift a leg and that is, um, and that's where he's like really good. He responds every single time. Um, then you can move on to the next level, which might be like leaning forward also, um, or picking up his leg and targeting and moving forward. Like you just gradually upgrade it. I would just kind of like back up a little bit because obviously you don't want to get kicked and you don't want to a frustrated horse. Um, so good on you for listening to your horse and recognizing that frustration. Um, I would just, um, I would back it up a little bit and lower your expectations and work up your criteria more gradually. Um, Again, I would recommend sitting down and getting a notepad out and breaking down the behavior. What is your end goal? What is the smallest, smallest piece of behavior you can do and gradually working up from there? Okay, one of my cats took a poop and now I have to spray aerosol and cover it up because my cats are incapable of doing that. Hold. I so wish I was kidding, but seriously, Wally cannot cover up his poop. So every time he takes a poop. I have to get up and spray aerosol and cover it up myself because he is absolutely useless as a cat. Anyway, um, yeah, that question. Essentially, just back it down a little bit. Make it easier. Make sure you're not skipping any steps or you're asking for too much. Even though he gets it sometimes, he may not be totally clear. So get to where he's really good at one thing, move on to the next, and get it where you're consistent every single time before you start moving up. Um, yeah. Oh, God. Back pop. Okay. Next question, listener Heather says, I've been waiting to ask questions like this, so mine comes up, but so far, no luck. I did not read that question or that sentence correctly, but anyway, currently a lesson instructor at a ranch where I teach basic horsemanship and English, Western, and trail riding. I'm implementing positive reinforcement with my students and lesson horses, and both are loving it. Awesome, that's so cool. Oh, good burp. The horses have all gone bitless too. That's awesome. I'm, you know, I've always thought... Beginning riders probably shouldn't use bits. Just throwing it out there. I mean like if it's a danger horse, probably shouldn't be a lesson horse. Um but you should I mean like I mean obviously bitless isn't always inherently better, but you don't have a piece of metal clinking around in their mouths. And usually beginner riders aren't super heavy handed, so like maybe we should learn, you know, save the horse's mouth. So I agree with you. Um it's going really well and um Okay, he actually wasn't out of food, he lied to me. Um okay. It's going really well and I couldn't be happier. However, I can't seem to get the parents on board sometimes. If I get new students, I explain that we start slow, cover all the basics, safety grooming, tack handling, yada yada, and then work our way into the saddle. Um, there's, there are at least two to three lessons of bonding, groundwork, desensitization with positive reinforcement depending on the individual's rate of advancement. I go slower with the less confident people. Now, the students um, love it, but the parents are always like, are they ever going to ride? I read it like that because it is alternating caps, which is very comical. 10 out of 10 message. Um, <laughs> I explain my methodology and why I do it, but they get weird on me, you know, because they're paying for horseback riding lessons and their kid isn't riding right away. I always tell them exactly what steps we're at and what we have accomplished, but I've had parents get kind of bitchy. Character flow? Sure. Or character flosher. Sure. Um, but how would you go about this with the horses and kids are still taking it slow if they're beginners, but the parents don't feel like they're getting or don't feel like they're getting shorted. Mind you, it's forty dollars an hour and I don't set the rate the barn owners do. Okay. So answering the first question here, um, that is a tricky situation. Mega props to you for doing it in spite of the parents. Um You know, I mean, not like you're training the horses in a way that the parents don't like, but like you're doing it regardless of the pushback mad props there. Um, As far as that, I mean, like it sounds like you're doing a pretty good job explaining your methodology and why, um, but maybe you like if you have a website or a Facebook page, you could um, word it in such a way that you're like, I really emphasize on creating a bond and teaching. Um, people, you know, how to properly start with a horse, how to build a relationship, um, learn training principles, et cetera, et cetera, Um, just so that, like, they know what they're getting into from the get-go, and then you can be like, but you said that you agreed to this, (laughs) Um, and uh, I would be like, um, if I were talking to them, I would just be like, okay, what are your concerns, and have them tell you, like, what they deal is. And if they're like, well, I want my child to learn how to ride, you could be like, I get that. That's what we're working towards. Um, you know, is it a problem that we are starting on the ground? And if they say yes, you know, you could be like, okay, well, could I talk to you a little bit about why I do what I do on the ground and maybe see if we can reach an agreement, if I can make you more comfortable with what I'm doing. And hopefully, you know, I mean, in whatever way you can achieve a conversation like that, um, you know, you could be like, I hear you. I know that riding is the fun, really exciting part. Um, You know, you get to take lots of cute pictures and they look really awesome and um, they get started on their sport. But I feel that it is imperative that these, Kids learn how to properly treat an animal because our industry is fraught with riders who use their answers to everything is stronger bits, more leg, more whip, more spur. And I am trying to leave your child as a compassionate, caring, responsible individual. That's the goals that I want to instill in your child. Also critical thinking skills, how to train, problem solving, breaking down behaviors. I'm teaching them so much. In our lessons, it's not all about the riding for me, because I think in order to be a really successful rider, it starts here on the ground. It starts with being a a successful trainer, whether we like it or not. Every time we touch a horse, we are training them something. So... I want your kids to be really proficient in their communication with their animals. I want them to be kind, and I want them to learn responsibility, and I want them to learn how to be trainers, and I want them to really excel in their riding career, and I feel that if I threw the the, the child on a horse, we could do that, but I feel like they're going to miss so many important things, and they're going to fall into that trap of getting competition hungry and caring about the ribbon more than the animal, but I want my riders to value the horse and have a relationship because it tends to produce better results. People tend to be happier, more carefree, less stressed when they're not working towards competition. I mean, that goes for anything. I mean, like if you run for fun, you probably are less stressed than if you're training for a marathon, you know? Anyway, going on on my, my speech here. But just really helping them enjoy it and then build up to where they're confident. They know these horses so well. They know how to train. They're confident in their skills that by the time they get on the horse, they're so ready to go that we're not going to be afraid at all. The, ho- the, the riders are going to know these horses and they're going to feel confident. And um, something to that effect, I hope. Um, now, me, if I were in this situation, would I be able to say all that every single time that eloquently? probably not. So it might take some practicing, might take some writing down. Sometimes I get very passionate and on these spiels on the post, but hopefully you could pick out like a few things that you're like, oh, maybe I haven't addressed that with them yet. Um, I don't know. hope that helps. Second question here. So my dragoness mare named Onyx is um, a 22 year... 22-ish-year-old Jim. She's loving our positive reinforcement journey, and so am I. Depending on what I'm asking her, I give her different rewards. Jumping, she gets peppermint nuggets, flat work, alfalfa, liberty, a combo of both um, trail with friends, fresh grass. She's out in the pasture, but the grass on the trail is new and nice, so it's a good reward. Yes, it definitely is. Um, Also, good on you for a difficult task, giving giving a better um, or a higher value more salient reward the peppermint nuggets though i did hear once that um peppermint can sometimes lead to ulcers but i could be entirely wrong on that so i don't know i would look that up if i were you um now um now she's not a major fan of trail alone but we are working slowly at it and because it's such a big ask i give her broken up baby carrots while out on a trail alone my only beef is that she gets grabby about it i switched to peppermint nuggets and said same thing So I wouldn't go more salient. I don't know if carrots are more salient, but I wouldn't up it. If the horse is getting grabby, it's normally due to nerves, not lack of salience. Um, Lack of salience or like, um, if you don't know what salience means, it's essentially just like how valuable the treat is. Like um, for us, getting to sit and relax and not do anything is a lot more salient than going for a run usually. Um, Or a chocolate bar is a lot more salient than say an apple not for everybody obviously some people are like i love apples more than chocolate good for you you're a freak <laughs> i'm kidding you're not nobody should ever feel shame for being healthier good on you but i'm jealous anyway um so um i would up the va- or the rate of reinforcement probably and then that'll that might help calm her down if she just knows it's going to keep coming um i've also noticed uh, the podcast when i start thinking i make a pop noise like Am I, is it a little, little tourettes What's going on here? I don't think I have Tourette's for the record, but, um, yeah, just weird, weird sounds always. That is the ADHD, I guess. Um, anyway, continuing here, uh, ba-da-da-da-da. I switched all the way back to alfalfa and she won't even touch it. Yeah. So that's the problem. Um, usually lack of salience means they won't touch it. And if it's, um, you know, if they're nervous, um, okay, well, I should back up. If a horse is nervous, if it's not salient enough, they won't take it at all. And if they're nervous but it is salient, they will be grabby with it. Um, So, what you want to do is decrease the anxiety. And um, if you can not get the horse to eat or do behaviors that it knows to calm it down, um, then, um, you know, you're not going to be very effective at calming it down unless the horse calms down on its own, which is usually doesn't work that way we wish it did um but so what I would do is continue to use the carrots and um I would just up the rate of reinforcement and just kind of let her hang out you know maybe instead of asking for a full trail ride just maybe like make it short and gradually work up duration um give her like little bits of trail I mean (laughs) carrots oh my god little bits of trail just see if she'll eat that um give her little bites of carrots um let her graze on the trail maybe hand walk her on it um you know there are a bunch of different things you can do so maybe that'll help um she'll eat grass but in that rapid fire real fast type of way which is whack because she's quite calm out there otherwise her body language is nice her head is low ears relaxed pivoting from me to uh sounds to stuff she sees she walks calmly and doesn't rush or put the brakes on. She's just usually grab you with treats if only she's out there. Recommendations. Yeah, I mean, it's probably, like, even though her body language is really relaxed, um, it still could be anxiety. Some horses, I mean, think about it. They're prey animals. They're brilliant at internalizing um, when they're nervous. Otherwise, they'll get picked out, especially when they're by themselves. My mare did not get that memo, on the other hand. When she's out on her, by herself on a trail, she is psychotic. So um, we have to... We have to work on that. But again, i talked in a previous episode about why I have not done trails because we have to walk through a bunch of other horses and I'm just, fuck it. I'm, no, I'm not doing that. Not until there is a path to get there without all of that because it will just be way too much. Um Also, I can't ride right now, so it doesn't matter. Um But... Yeah, so it's great that you don't have to fight against all that other stuff, the dancing, jigging, running back to the barn, whinnying, all of that. Um, but her really fast grabbing is usually a sign of anxiety. It's really nothing. Like, I don't can't think of anything else that it would be. Um, uh, the Language Signs and Calming Signals of Horses book by Raquel Dreisma. You can buy it on Amazon. I think it's like 30 bucks. Um, it's an expensive book, but it's hardcover and it's full co- uh, full color on the inside. So it's a really nice book. Um But it talks about that at great length and the study that she did on it is um, really interesting. Okay, I think that's all I've got for that. Hope that helped. Um, The last question we've got here is from an anonymous listener who was super kind about Patreon, made my heart very happy in saying that I deserve it and that made me so happy because I hope I do. So hard to deal with money, but that is for another episode. Um, okay. I'm very interested in learning more about start signals. Some people call them start buttons, by the way. Um, like how Zoe knows that smiling will start a training session. Also how you were teaching her to keep her ears forward. Okay. So two different questions, but simple enough to answer. Um, I'm sure it will come out in my long winded fashion anyway. Um, but Zoe sort of just did it on her own. I learned about, um, starts buttons slash signals after she was already doing it like um essentially she like she would just see me walking towards her pastor her, and she'd lift her lift her lip um and because she knows that she gets reinforced for that um you know because it's her smile trick even if it was uncued um she's just really eager for it and um so i just kind of allowed that to become our start cue inadvertently cuz i would reward for it cuz i was like good on you but she also doesn't smile like, it's not a behavior that I really have to put on stimulus control because she, um, smiles all the time. She only ever does it. If she can't figure something out, she'll smile because it has a really high reinforcement history. So she knows she'll get reinforced for that when I always reinforce for it. Um, because, um, I'm like, she's frustrating and she's, she's frustrated and she's communicating that to me in a very polite way. Um, but also, um, she just like s- smiles. The first one, um, I taught her and Alexander Curlin calls those, they like base behaviors. Um, so you, you want to teach your horse really calm behaviors first, like standing on a mat, standing with their head low or pricking their ears or um, just standing or targeting. Those are all base behaviors. So um, because horses have a tendency when they get confused to revert to behaviors. So you don't want to teach rear first and that be what your horse goes to for reinforcement so you want to teach things like calm relaxed behavior so that when they do that you can still reinforce them for being good um so there it is again (laughs) um so yeah i mean it's just kind of like whatever you teach first um something else you could do i mean you could just walk out and cue something and if the horse responds then you know that they're game for a training session it's kind of like asking like do you want to do it um also, some horses don't really need a star cue. Um, like, you walking towards them with a bum bag on full of treats is enough. They're like, oh, we're coming to train. Like, Zoe, she can usually tell the difference between me walking towards her with a bum bag on and me not having one. She's like, okay, you're just going to hang out. Or, walk past me, you evil human. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's 10.35. And my old lady ass has been going to bed at 11. Um, So, Yeah. I think that is a good one. Also, people will people use start buttons for, like, grooming on horses that really don't like to be groomed. Um, the way that looks usually is, um, like, maybe they hold out a brush, and when the horse touches it with its nose, um, then you start brushing, and then click and treat. And then you hold it out, and then the horse is essentially, like, it's the way of consenting. Um, they Because they'll, they'll touch the brush, and they know that it's going to like, inside brushing, and then they'll get a click in a tree. Now, like, I see why that's logical, but I, like, I also haven't committed a lot of thought to this, and honestly, it just came to me right now in my very tired brain, so I could be entirely wrong on this, but I also am, like, don't really know that that is, like, consent in the way that it is often um, perpetrated. Obviously, like, in the case of brushing, so, again, the horse touches the brush because the horse knows he's going to get brushed. Um, because of history and then um, gets clicked in treat yes that is a way to consent but also like couldn't the horse be doing it because he'd just rather get the treat even if he still doesn't like being brushed that would be a question that I would want the answer to but again like I said haven't thought a whole lot on it I don't know if that makes any sense but like the horse may still not like brushing may not be fully consenting but still wants the treat so that's why he's doing the behavior that he knows is going to eventually lead to a treat you know I don't know um I'd have to think more about that, read more about it cuz I know a lot of people are like really big into start cues and you know, I mean if the animal really didn't want to be brushed, you know, maybe they wouldn't um wouldn't initiate the start cue. <laughs> oh, when you're an opera singer and a yawner. Um okay. Uh also, how am I teaching her to keep her ears forward? I guess I must have mentioned this at one point. Um, when she's trotting around, I accidentally, I think, reinforced when we were working at Liberty and she would be trotting. I think I accidentally um, trained her that having her ears back was a part of that. So... Now I've kind of just been shaping it like while we're trotting, usually something will happen like a horse will move uh, or uh, a cat will spring up out of the grass or something and then she'll prick her ears and look at it and I'll click and treat for that. Um, and gradually she just, and I talk to her the whole time. I'm like, you're so pretty. You're so good. Oh my God. And usually the tone of voice, she knows that she's being spectacular and then, um, she'll soften her ears and I click for them just being out to the side or any way that's not pinned. Um, cause she just looks so angry and I hate seeing horses working at Liberty and positive reinforcement with their fucking ears flat, like plastered against their heads. It's not what you want. Um, and it's usually an indication of a problem or you accidentally made it a part of the behavior. So, um, that's how I'm working to fix that. Um, I know Alexandra Curland also, she's just like super relevant in this episode for some reason. Um, she, uh, teaches pricking ears. Uh, I think, how does she call it? Like pretty face or something like that. Um, it's one of her base behaviors teaches the horse to prick their ears. So you can take pictures and stuff, um, or be able to cue it like in behaviors like that. But the only, the only case in which I would be like, I I'm kind of hesitant to teach pricking ears for behaviors because if Zoe were in pain, um, somewhere, maybe her shoulder was sore, but she wasn't lame. Um, and she's trotting around and I'm only clicking her for having her ears forward. Um, it can get a little bit messy because like then the horse isn't actually like fine and happy to be doing the work. They're just doing it because it's trained and, um, fabricated, if that makes sense. Hi, Wally. Do you hear him? hope <laughs> He's a little meow. You yeah, little boy. So cute. Okay. Well, guys, that is all. I have officially answered all of your questions and now I have to put a title on this bad boy, write the description, and edit an, a cover for this. So, yeah, I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope that you're not too pissed about me about uh, moving to Patreon, but again, all the episodes will still be free and at your fingertips on all of your favorite apps. Um, just some of the fun fun little bonusy things, and being able to ask for training help will be on Patreon. Again, I will be addressing all of that in an episode when I announce um, that that's what we're doing now, but I'm just trying to give everybody a heads up so that we're all on the same page and that by the time I make the move, I will not be getting um, incessant emails. Like, you are still feel free to email me right now, but when I make the move, we're gonna stop. But also, if I get bombarded with emails, I'm probably not gonna be able to answer them all, so... Yeah, first come, first serve, I guess. Um, we'll just see how it goes. It also depends on whenever I can get the Patreon up and going. Um, largely dependent on my time lately. Oops, took my glasses off and my face hurts. Um, but yeah, be sure to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all of those places. You can find me at Jet Equa Theory and Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you can find Jet Real Podcast. I also have a Twitter, Jet Equa Theory. Um, and yeah, I think that's about it. Thank you guys. Be sure you subscribe, leave a a review if you want. Um, Let me know how I'm doing, and with that, I say thank you, and I bid you all adieu. Enjoy your week.